I was saying I can get a very nice deep voice today. It's very nice. Hello. It's very deep. I'll try not to, though. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, blow out any woofers. Yeah, that's a good idea. On today's podcast, GDPR, what is it, how it works, and our thoughts on how it could have been a little bit better with some design thinking put in at the beginning. Welcome to Brilliant, a podcast about innovation, design, and experience. As usual, I am Justin Jurek, Vice President of User Experience at Mignani. And with me, as always, is Justin Dobb, President of Mignani. How's it going, Justin? It's going very well, thank you. So today, we were going to talk a little bit about GDPR. That was kind of, you know, everyone's email boxes have been flooded with GDPR emails, notifications, updates to terms of service, uh, all of this stuff over the course of the last week. Um, and kind of why, why is that happening? Um, basically it all comes back to a law passed in the EU, which is called the GDPR, the general data protection regulation. Um, and it's a series of rules and regulations passed by the EU, uh, to help better regulate the way. (laughs) This is the department of redundancy department explanation, right? Is it? You're like, it's a regulation that's designed to regulate the regulation. Well, if you, you can take a hack. Take a hack through it. Um, it's a lot of gobbledygook. Like I've said, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> right. So the GDPR basically is, a, is an act that theoretically is supposed to give users back the control over the data they create by, you know, browsing and interacting with apps, etc. Not to be lamb to the slaughter to app developers or social media sites on the web or, you know, ad tech in general. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of got three basic prongs. There's a better definition, I think, more than many be ever done before about what the different parts of that system are. So, like, um, there's three basic parts, right? Controllers. So that's um, any business that's using a company to deploy emails or to collect data. They're called controllers. Then there's processors. That's your Google Analytics, right? A great example of a data processor. They're evaluating all the incoming data and providing metrics on what's happening. And then the last part of it is data subjects, which are people. Um, Again, we've talked about this before with a really non-personal name, (laughs) data subjects. But the data subjects themselves have rights. And that's basically the second prong, right? So there's a couple parts to it. The first part is about opting in. Uh, so, you know, I think one of the big issues that's been going on and has been in the news has been like, what data am I offering up to these companies? And do I know what they're taking? And am I comfortable with that? So there's an opt-in function to start with where you've got to agree to the terms of service. Um, but all those terms of service has to be written more explicitly about which pieces of data they're collecting and why. Um, then there's also an opt-in for communications as well. So if People want to be able to receive uh, just one kind of email from an organization instead of all kinds of emails. Uh, They should have that right. The other part of the rights portion for data subjects has to do with the kind of right to be forgotten uh, a little bit, which came out of Europe as well, and a a user's ability to kind of wipe the slate clean at an organization with their data, as well as that can be done. So there has to be both a mechanism to be able to request a comp- from a company what data you have on me and get ready access to that. And then the other part has to be um, the ability to remove that data or request a wipe of that data. And then the third part is enforcement. This law has more teeth than I think other data privacy laws have been passed either here in the U.S. or around uh, the world. And there's pretty significant fines 
particularly for the larger entities, um, you know, in the billions of euros, if they're not following these regulations. Well, that's where it gets pretty interesting is because there's no um, structure to handle, you know, minor infractions. Mm -hmm. Like the minimum fine is 10 million euros uh, or 2% of your global revenues, whichever's larger. (laughs) So, I mean, if there's a a haberdasher, right? Yeah. (laughs) Whose entire revenue is, you know, $4 million a year and they, you know, been historically buying lists of, you know, affluent customers and they really don't think about GDPR and they keep doing this theoretically, suddenly they could be slapped with a 10 million euro fine, which effectively just puts them out of business. You know, and it may not even be that they're, you know, emailing people who don't want their stuff. It's just just somehow they're non-compliant. Yeah. That seems excessive. It could be excessive. Part of it, I think, is really, um, you know, ostensibly the, the rhetoric was we're going to give users control of their data. But right. the truth is there's no mechanism for giving users control of their data. There's no body that's out there really enforcing all of this stuff mm-hmm. unless it's someone trying to levy a fine, right? There's not, uh, you know, there's no um, department you can call to help you yeah. figure out if you're compliant. There's no central database of compliance. There's no way for anyone to really understand kind of user base they've developed over time is compliant. So this is where this whole uh, idea that everyone's got to double opt in again, right? Yeah. Because they're like, well, start over. Um, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I have to say a little bit, it makes me excited that, you know, <laughs> I don't have to you. unsubscribe to everything because I can just ignore the double opt in that came and I will be unsubscribed. Yeah. Um, when it reminds you maybe, oh, yeah, I don't want that anymore. Yeah. Click. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a little bit, but, you know, it just, it started to make me think that uh, what this is really about is the EU trying to figure out a way to tax some of these giant internet companies, Mm -hmm. none of which actually are European companies. Right. Huh. You know, there's a great list that I just saw Mary Meeker uh, put out of, you know, the top data-driven, technically uh, tech companies, which, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... It's a weird misnomer, I think, to call any company a tech company these days because there's no other kind of company. Her list was all U.S. and Chinese companies. Sure. So, you know, it really struck me as the EU is not going to be finding the haberdasher and putting their own small business out of business. No. And if you're a small business in the U.S. and they send you a letter, I mean, I would tell them to, you know, take a leap. That whole kind of jurisdiction part, what kind of exposure does a small business, you know, selling ice cream in the United States have to... Yes, technically, their website is seen by the world. Is anyone from Europe going to be registering to their email list? And if so, like, really? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it could be. It could sense. be, a, you know, some expat who decides they want a little, in their inbox, they want a little taste of home, right? Yes. From I an guess. ice cream stand? I don't know. But it's from a punitive standpoint, right? The yeah, entire design... Yeah, yeah isn't really set up to ostensibly protect consumers like they say or yeah. give consumers power because they didn't put any mechanisms in place for consumers to wield that power. Correct. They just, you know, put in a place the mechanism for the EU to, you know, levy fines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a good user experience. No. Um, it's no. not going to impact my life in a in a more positive way than, you know, thankfully I'm going to be able to ignore all the double opt-ins and my inbox will get a little thinner, hopefully, yeah. right? 
I think one of the interesting points you brought up prior to writing your post about this was what does it look like if you had a central repository of data where you could basically the ledger of your data, right? Where you could check in and check out um, and provide permissions to different services from this one central repository. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that. I thought sure. it was like a, it was, it was definitely like an, an aha for me that, yeah, that seems like a logical place to go if you really want to help protect people's data. Well, and give them the power to protect their Correct. own data, right? And so uh, my thought was, if you're going to give someone a good user experience around protecting their data, um, telling them to go make individual requests of the who knows how many thousands uh, hundreds, of companies yeah, uh, you know, have access to any little morsel of information about them. Um, it just doesn't make any sense, right? right? I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to like suffer, right? So, mm -hmm. And the same issues are going to be out there. It's helped me none. And I would imagine, you know, any of the large infraction-based companies, yep. <laughs> I think it's for like a better term. Um, so uh, Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. Their, their approach to this has been uh, pretty damned humorous. What you could do is use any number of kind of... Um, Revocable certificate-based, mm -hmm. you know, technologies mm -hmm. to to create, you know, a faceted profile of, of me. I can say there's all these data points that are attached to the entity that is me, and that entity is is granting revocable permissions to different companies for different facets of me. They don't get everything, yeah. right? Maybe I say you sh you can know my gender, or you can know where I live, or you can know what kinds of products I'm interested in, mm -hmm. or whatever these different facets are. And, and I'd be able to go in and turn those off and on at any given point. And, and I think ultimately, if you really want to make this work, you need to make it so that consumers control the value of that data, not just the access to yeah, that data. Yeah. And, you know, theoretically, you could sell this data. You know, if I'm a marketer, I'm paying someone for this data. I'm mm -hmm. either paying to collect it myself or I'm paying a broker. Uh, who has access to this data, who has collected it before. Yep. So why not make it something that a consumer can theoretically charge for as well? And if you give them a tool that is easy enough to, to manage, you know, why not? Yeah, it, um, I had heard an interesting uh, proposal when all the Cambridge Analytica stuff uh, came out, basically saying, you know, is it time for attacks on some of the internet companies because they're basically getting their raw materials right at no cost like they they don't have to really because they open this up for free right and there's infrastructure costs that they're paying for but at least the their raw materials is our data right right and so they're able to make billions of dollars on your personal data but you have no you don't get any royalties from that action right Right, as so, an individual, and it doesn't really go into the commons; it goes into the coffer. Um, so it was an interesting, you know, uh, proposal at the time. And and this is, uh, I think, your idea is kind of another variant on that, or another kind of uh, tangent off that same idea. Well, I think it's a market mechanism around that idea. But yeah. there's an there's an underlying concept that that I thought of that when you were describing that is that. Um, Potentially, it's you know protected under copyright, right? Mm. So my mm -hmm. my act that generates data, why is that not you know a creative act? Mm -hmm. So I my if my movement has value and I'm you know have a unique profile on the internet, mm -hmm. why can't I assert copyright over my 
my behaviors. I mean, yeah. It's no different than Marcel Duchamp finding a, uh, a bottle drying rack, you know, signing yep. it, and suddenly it's, you know, art. Right. And, and it's because that intention and that uh, understanding has its own inherent value beyond right. the object itself. Beyond my motion through the internet or the world, the fact that it's connected to a sen- sentient being and, and a consumer actually gives it greater value, and, and we should own that value as consumers. I think that's one way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, and that's the philosophical debate, right? In Europe, they're starting to take more and more of the posture, right? And they've pretty well asserted it now, that the individual has the right to control their data. In the United States, the person who mined the data has the right to the data. That philosophical difference says, I think it says a a lot about both kind of the societies. It's just an aggregate. Um, I think the general posture over like the individual to like the commons is an interesting, there's a, there's some anthropological part of that as well, but that kind of drives the lawmaking and with a more corporatist ideology, a more corporatist bent, yeah, it made tons of sense for the miner to get that that content. Yeah, I think there's also a, a difference between um, the EU is willing to put out, as far as legislation goes, the equivalent of minimum viable product. Sure. So sure. they fully understand that, that a lot is going to go wrong with mm-hmm. this legislation, but the philosophy is the net effect is positive for consumers. Right. Whereas in the U.S., they're like any kind of hindrance to business right now. The philosophy is that, you know, we can't do that. It's going to break, mm-hmm. you know, someone's business model. And, you know, in the EU, they're like, well, that's fine, but they'll figure it out. And it's ultimately better even when it becomes a problem. Like the, right. these are, uh, you know, the cost of doing business. Whereas, in you know, our uh, lawmakers are, are loath to add any more, quote, tax onto business. Although, sure. you know it's very arguable that the tax is being just transferred to a user. So let's get back into a little bit of the discussion about Facebook's approach to GDPR, because you are correct. There would be a little squeaky, uh, a little little slippery about what they're doing. Yeah, and it was really um, part of their reaction to, you know, the the law taking effect that made me start to think about what the real intent of this thing was. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Facebook basically just said to its users, you have to agree to a terms of service that is in violation of GDPR and waive those rights or you can't use Facebook. And, and of course, the EU says, well, we think that you can't do that and you are liable day one for, you know, I think it was $4.5 billion in fines. Um, and, and so that's where I initially thought like this, this calculation of mm-hmm. the $10 million or 2% in global revenue, uh, you know, I'm sure there are thousands upon thousands of small to mid-sized businesses that are non-compliant, and they're just not going to do anything to those mm-hmm. businesses because of the political fallout. Sure. But they look at 2%, Facebook will pay 2%. Right. You know, and Facebook is looking at it like 2%, I can live with 2%. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I can live with yeah, being like non-compliant. If, because the cost of being compliant is greater than... a. Two percent reduction in my revenue. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's a little bit of extortion money. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Well, it reminds me a little bit of kind of like you know some of the financial regulatory bodies you know in the United States, where like you know a company's caught doing something 
heinous, you know, and then they're like, the original fine is X billion dollars. And they're like, can we just do X percent of X billion? And you just, we call it a day. And they're like, yeah, all right. Because everyone's done with it. Yeah, they're definitely, we levy far smaller percentages of fines than this is implied by GDPR, right? Mm -hmm. There's, you know, in fact, it's, it's so small generally and historically that, um, you know, there's almost no disincentive to breaking the law. If you're like, look at Wells Fargo. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge fine. That's like the biggest one I've seen in a long time. But still, I mean, was the net effect positive? Did they make money? And they're still in business. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a disincentive to me. Right. Yeah. In GDPR, it doesn't seem like a real disincentive either. No. It, It strikes me as like, oh, good, we can tax these big companies in a way that looks like we're you know, kind of looking out for the consumer. But the truth is that, like, we wanted to figure out a way to levy tax on these businesses that really won't affect, um, you know, businesses based in the EU. Yeah. And ultimately, if they, you know, back to the the central point there, if they really want it to be about users, about people protecting their own data, there needs to be some mechanism for users to act on that and to be able to achieve it in a simple easy manner, as simple as you adjusting the notifications on your phone. You know, until that happens, it's it's a big, uh, a lot of sturm and drang, yep. but I don't know what was really going to come out of it at the end. And and more importantly, not just control it, but collect license fees, right? That'd so be great. I, there are so many people who would be more than happy to sell everything they do uh-huh. to everyone online. Yep. Like, I have no secrets. I want the cash. Mm-hmm. If we're going to talk about business, which if we're talking about GDPR is about business, mm-hmm you know, let's look at both sides of the equation and like equalize the playing field. Yeah. It's almost like the, you know, the subjects union, right? Sure. (laughs) So we're doing collective bargaining now on our personal data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, One other question I had for you when you were kind of doing the thought experiment about this central repository, do you think that's done on a, on a, is some like international coalition that regulates this stuff? Is it a national entity? Like what? That was the other part I was starting to think about is like, what's the agnostic place where this sits, right? Yeah. That, where there's a, there's a, uh, a body that hap- happens to regulate the security and make sure the protocols are proper so that no one's hacking into that system. Because you know, as soon as it's online, right. that's like the central target for identity thieves for all of those um, yeah. yeah, less than uh, forthright players in the marketplace. You know, I don't know if there's a, a governing body, you know, strong enough to push that through globally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the UN is really not gonna gonna no. get involved there. Um, my guess, something like that would have to be done on a, you know, a large governing body by governing body basis. Yeah. So there's, you know, the EU will have theirs. That's my guess. You know, mm-hmm. the US, China, who basically does it anyway. Um, sure. They they control everything, and uh, there is a consumer being paid uh, for all the subjects' data in China, and it's the government, mm-hmm. um, and they're totally okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that's up to them, um, and I'm certainly sure that their Chinese companies will not be paying any GDPR fines. Probably not. Probably not. That's a good way to wrap up this discussion about GDPR. Uh, for more information about GDPR uh, and our thoughts on it, hit com slash blog. It's the featured article as we're recording this. And uh, for more, um, just search GDPR. You will fall into that rabbit hole and never come out. Yeah, and in the uh, show notes, uh, we'll include some links to other articles slash rants 
about GDPR. It's definitely inflaming uh, the passion of the <laughs> intelligentsia. That's for sure. All right. Thanks, Justin. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Brilliant. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe or rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Brilliant is recorded at Mignani, an experienced design and strategy firm in Chicago, Illinois. To learn more about what Mignani can do for you, visit Mignani.com. That's M-A-G-N-A-N-I.com. <laughs> <laughs>